want to share before we get into the sermon, uh, there are a couple of events that happened this past week that I, that I want to talk about really quick. Um, we, haven't, we don't do a lot of this, but one of, the, one of the things that we want to help you as, as part of this church is dealing with current events and how you know, having a, a Christian or a, a biblical worldview, looking at, looking at things through the, through the lens of Christianity, what the Bible would say about it. And uh, this week was, was a big week for those events, and I just want to talk about them really quickly. Uh, we're not going get to get into anything political or anything like that, but um, some this, this first one is a little bit political, but we still need to address it. And someone said, catfish and grits, the way my mama makes it. Belgian waffles, yep, that's acceptable. That's from Belgium, right? It's exotic. <laughs> uh, but there were two events, and um, I kind of watched people respond to them, not, not so much the, the first one, but uh, the second one, and there's, there's kind of a stigma attached to the first one that I think we need to get over. Um, and so I'm talking about the Planned Parenthood news story and Cecil the Lion. And uh, there, there are two, there, there were two big news stories, and and they were, they were kind of conflicting a little bit this week. Um, you know, I happen to be somebody who thinks that, uh, that we as Christians, German chocolate cake, yes, go ahead. You can just text them in and I can approve them or, or deny them as we go through the service and that way we can make sure it's good food next week. Um, as, as believers, as Christians, I think we have a responsibility to be good stewards of the environment, that, that when, when God put us in charge in the very beginning, as you, as you read in the beginning of Genesis, when God put us in charge, he didn't put us in, in charge of the world, of, of our resources on the planet to abuse them. I don't, I don't think that that's good stewardship. I think God wants us to use them for, for, a human, for human thriving and, and the, life, the lives that we lead, but at the same time, to not abuse them. So we should not abuse animals and those kinds of things. Now, Cecil the Lion, um, it's a hard one because we're removed. We're outside, we're outside of the culture. We don't really know what culture is like there. And, but one of the responses that I heard from, I, I'm friends with some worship leaders and pastors in Africa, and one of, them, one of them posted, he said, I don't understand the response about Cease of the Lion because we have much greater problems here in our country, and those would be you know, uh, uh, a, a corrupt government, a, a lack of electricity, a lack of water, lack of clean water to drink and things like that. So if you're outraged about something, this is someone from the country saying, if you're gonna be outraged about something, be outraged about something that's really important to our survival. Uh, but, that, but where it kind of it collided with the Planned Parenthood story, and uh, I'm not going to get into the whole politics of all of that, but uh, if you know me, you know that, that I, don't, I don't support abortion, and I, you know, I think as people being made in the image of God, we have a responsibility to stand up for the defenseless, those who can't fight for themselves, and uh, this is, I think, could potentially be um, a defining moment for our country uh, because it's, it's, not just, it's not just abortion that is at, at stake. It's not just this topic that we've discussed and debated for years and years, but now, now it's gone to another level and it's, it's gruesome. And I think, you know, a lot of times I don't want to talk about abortion because of the political charge of the subject and I don't want us to ever become a political church and we're not gonna ever get, be that kind of church that talks about politics and try to get you to vote one way or another based on issues. But this, this confronts our mission as a church right in the face, this do justice. What's doing justice is, is what's right. You remember we talked about that in the last series. What's the right thing to do? Looking at a situation, what's the right thing to do? in this situation and then doing it. And when you look at this situation, it's really hard for me to, to in any way, shape, or form justify that this could possibly be conceived as the right thing. So how do we respond? How do we respond? Well, um, you know, we talked about in, in the Freeway series about how, um, how we are uh, made in God's image and and God knew us before he created us in our mother's womb and Psalm 139 is a popular 
popular passage on this subject. How do we respond? How do we enter into the discussion? How do we deal with this topic without just getting political and arguing and, and getting charged up and not doing any good? I think the first thing, just like we've talked about so many times, we always have to respond and start and begin and have everything covered in grace. That God's grace is sufficient for everything. And so we're never going to come and attack somebody based on a point of view because we know that everyone is under grace or can be under grace. And we all have made mistakes in our lives that deserve punishment and deserve God's wrath. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have grace. And so, so whatever, whatever person we're talking to, wherever you find them on the spectrum, we talk with grace. We, we begin with grace. We end with grace. Everything is about grace. But we cannot, we cannot um, one of the things we've said is we, we don't condemn and we don't condone when it comes to topics that, that, are, that are political, that are in disagreement with what we believe in Christianity. We don't wanna go out and shower condemnation on an unbelieving world, we wanna shower grace on an unbelieving world. But too often, one of the things that, that we kinda err towards is, is we wanna start condoning because we wanna, you know, we wanna support somehow, we wanna kinda get in their corner and, and, and help them in some way, and so we kinda edge closer and closer to this line of condoning something that's wrong, and we, we put ourselves then in a very dangerous spot with, with truth, because as, as the more we walk and wander away from truth and try to condone things that are in disagreement with scripture, then whenever scripture confronts us, we are not able to respond because we've compromised. And so we have to always begin and end and cover everything with grace, but at the same time, what does the Bible say? What is the truth and how do we respond to that? Monkey bread, yeah, you can bring in monkey bread. That's a good one. And then one more event, and this one, uh, I, I found it a little bit um, comical. I hope, you, I hope I don't offend anyone by saying that, but you know, the protesters hanging off the bridge, um, but, but I also noticed a shift. Now, um, I, I haven't done any research on Arctic drilling and any of that stuff. Um, you know, I, I think we need to be, we probably have erred on the side of consumption instead of conservation, and we need to kind of get the pendulum to swing back uh, in terms of conservation. But um, what I noticed was there was kind of a support there was, there was a, a support for breaking the law to make a point. Um, now, it's hard, for me to, it's hard for me to imagine unless I put myself behind a different topic because uh, this isn't one that I'm gonna go hang from a bridge for. Uh, but but maybe, maybe there's another topic that's as important where we would need to break the law. But, but if, you look at, if you look at the life of Martin Luther King Jr., um, it was, it was very peaceful in everything that they did, and they made great progress in terms of protesting something that was wrong. Now, there were, there were factions that kind of broke off of the movement that started to break the law and become violent, but, but Martin Luther King and what he led was very peaceful in his approach. And I think we always have to, no matter what the issue is, and this is the reason I want to talk about it, is, is because God may call us to stand up for the truth at some point in time. But how we stand, says as much about uh, who we are and what we believe as what we're standing up against. And so if we, if we go out and we break a lot of laws to take a stand and protest something, and we get a lot of people around us, you can, you can see this with uh, the Westboro Baptists, a lot of the crazy, ridiculous, stupid, idiotic things that they do, they, they will get a lot of people to support them and, and encourage them. Whatever the protest is, whatever it is, we have to stay within the rule of the land. You can read through Romans if you want to, to understand that a little bit more. Yes, there are a lot of wrong things. There are a lot of things that we probably uh, need to address, we need to deal with in a Christian, biblical way, but how we respond to them must also be biblical and respectful. So, I just wanted to share that um, before we got too far in. Any questions, any comments? Feel free to jump in. Well, this morning, um, and remember, just grace, always grace. God's grace is sufficient for everything. There is nothing outside of God's grace. 
Next week, I was going to start the, the next series, uh, the next module this week, um, but I decided to wait, uh, push that off. We're going to start Love Mercy next Sunday, and we'll cover that. We'll go beyond Love Mercy through the first Sunday of September, and that'll kind of set us up for the block party there. Um, so we'll be starting that module. But today, I wanted to talk about something that might, um, might come across a little odd, uh, but before, to get into it, I kind of want to. I kind of want to set it up with a story. When I was a kid, we were going to a church, and we had uh, these. We had a lot of events. They do uh, camping was a big thing back in the day, and so they would have you know family camp. I don't know if you have ever been to a family camp with a church. You know, youth camp. They would have. They'd have youth camp. They would have uh, kids camp. They would have. Um, here's somebody just sent in a comment about the last thing we were talking about. Uh, the abortion issue touched my friend. She is hurting. The message was from God to her. Thanks for mercy and grace. Uh, talk at the same time. I believe healing takes place. Yeah, I, I think we've done a lot of damage as, as Christians by sidestepping or jumping over grace to get to the truth, and it's grace and truth. Uh, Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth, and grace was first. Um, but we... We would do these camping things. So there are probably six or eight different camps throughout the year. And one of them was, I think it was called a father-son retreat. And so, you know, the fathers and sons would go out on this retreat. And we went one year. Um, we had this tent. And, you know, this was back in the day before they had the cool, easy, quick to set up pop-up tents, you know. So, so the, every time you went camping and you took this tent, you had, you had this big, uh, you know, roll of a tent that was probably that big around and, you know, you know three or four feet wide and you had folded it up a couple of times. And then you had all the poles that you had to put together to put the tent up. So there's probably 20 or 30 poles that pieced together and kind of, you know, made the support for the tent. And this tent had, had three supports, one in the middle and then one on each side. And the ones on the side kind of went out like this and the one in the middle went up like that. So the tent would stay up, right? And they had the stakes in the ground. Um, well, uh, when we went to this retreat, we took the tent, but we didn't take the poles. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried camping in a tent that isn't propped up, but it's probably not all that enjoyable. Yes, you may be able to endure it, but it's a little bit better if the tent is up. Now, this was a blue tent. This, was, you, this was, had blue and white stripes across the top of it. I mean, you could have landed helicopters according to the pattern on the top of this tent. It was the you know, 1960s, 70s era tent. So instead of you know, getting to enjoy, I, I enjoy the beginning part of this retreat, and it was, I can't remember the name of the place, but it had you know, water slides and a bunch of cool stuff at this, part, at this place. And uh, instead of getting to enjoy that, uh, my dad had to go around through the forest, because we were a couple hours away from home, had to go around through the forest in southeast Ohio and cut down, cut off branches, cut down limbs and things like that so that he could form the supports for the tent. Um, when you're not, not prepared for something, you miss out. When you're not prepared for something, you miss out. Now, that, that's one of my examples. I've got a couple other I might share throughout the course of the, this morning, but we've all probably gone through this, right? Have you ever taken a test that you didn't study for? Anyone ever taken a test? Yeah, probably all of us at some point in time took a test we didn't study for. Um, maybe, uh, have you ever forgotten to shower? Yeah, I have. Forgotten to put on deodorant? I did that two days ago. Uh, have you ever gone on a road trip and forgotten to pack something, like socks? And if you forget to pack socks on your road trip, then you have to stop and buy socks. We had to buy socks in Ohio because I forgot to pack socks. Uh, so, uh, but then, so those are kind of some, some fun ones, but then there are some other ways that we're not as prepared, and when we're not prepared, we miss out. So anytime you're not prepared, you have to miss out on something to get, to get caught up. If you forget to study for a test, you get a bad grade on a test, you might fail the class, you, have to take it over again, you have to retake the test, something like that. When you go on a road trip, you have to, and you forget something, you miss out on the road trip to go get something at the store. Uh, but how about uh, something a little more serious? You know, are you saving for retirement? Maybe a lot of us aren't. I'll be honest, I'm not saving for retirement right now. Um, and so, 
as I'm not saving for retirement, I'm not being prepared, and so if I don't start that soon, then we're gonna eventually miss out because we don't have a retirement. We'll be working until I die, so I literally will have to die in the pulpit. It's a dream anyway, I mean, like, that's the way I wanna go out. <clears throat> just, yeah, just kidding. <laughs> uh, this came in. I love the point you made about how you stand up for, for what you believe. Uh, it says as much about you and who you are and what you're standing up for. It really hit home for me, and I made something click inside of me. Thank you. We, we have a responsibility as believers to stand up for those who can't fight for themselves. That's the core of who we are as a, as a church, doing justice. But if you don't study, study for a test, you miss out on a good grade, if you forget your socks, you have to buy some, you miss out on the vacation. If you don't save money for retirement, you never get to retire. Um, if you don't pack the tent stakes, you miss out on the fun while you have to go get branches to hold up the tent. When you're not prepared, you miss out. 1 Timothy uh, 5.8 says this. This is in the middle of Timothy talking about how to care for widows and kind of gives some very uh, direct instructions about how we as a church are to care for, for widows and some of the criteria that are supposed to be met there. Um, but in, in the middle of that, he says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a strong statement. And if, if we kind of read over that because it's in the context of looking at widows, then I think we miss out on something. We as believers have, have a responsibility to provide for our household, provide for our families, and why is what we're gonna really kind of focus in on, on this morning when we talk about this whole subject. The why is because even in all of these situations, we are representing Christ. So as the world looks at us, as the world sees us and how we, how we care for our families, how we provide for our families, if they see that we're neglecting our family and kind of letting our family fend for themselves, then, then who is this God that we follow and why should we follow them? If this is how they treat their family, I don't want any part of that faith. And I think sometimes we get off base. You know, it's not someone else's responsibility to provide for our family. Did you know that? We've gotten a little off track with that. For everyone, including me, our primary ministry is to our families. Our primary ministry is to, to the people God has put in our lives. We have to provide for their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. But unfortunately, a lot of the time, uh, we've relegated a lot of that to someone else. For some of us, it's government. We just rely on the government to provide for us until those resources run out. For others, we live off of uh, another family, off of someone else's hard work. We'll, we'll do whatever we can uh, to not work. Are there times in our life when we need assistance? Absolutely. In fact, if you, if you know my story, you know that there were times in our life when we had to rely on assistance. I'm not putting that down in any way, shape, or form. I don't want you to get that idea. I don't want you to think that, that I'm saying that we shouldn't do that. Um, but as a, as a lifestyle, if we're deciding, well, I can work, but I'm not going to work because I get everything for free, then that's what is wrong. We need to provide for our families. Now, it's just a little sidebar. We're going to get into something. But the reason I wanted to, to kind of stop and talk about this, I want to talk about being prepared. Now, um, you, might, you might be a little bit startled about the topic this morning, and I want to warn you, um, I'm not predicting a disaster. I'm not predicting Jesus' return. You, will not, you won't hear a date today that Jesus is coming back. Um, I'm not predicting the apocalypse, Armageddon, war. Somebody just say, aw. I think I heard that. Um, earthquakes, an alien invasion, or the arrival of unicorns. I'm not predicting any of those things. And also, don't worry, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be that church that starts you know, kinda preaching on this topic all the time, but I've never talked about it, and I think we need to talk about it at least once in a while because we do need to be prepared. It's important that we're prepared. So the reason, the reason I wanted to talk about it today was because there was an article that went around a couple of weeks ago about an earthquake. 
How, did anyone see this article? Anyone see the article about um, this mega earthquake that you know, is supposed to hit the Northwest and by all the research, you know, we're overdue for, and they just kind of want to, you know, ring that big bell, you know, we're overdue for an earthquake. It's been 300 and some years and it happens every 240 years. We're overdue, it's gonna happen anytime. And so they kind of said, you know, we noticed that while we were on vacation, it was going viral through uh, our Facebook feeds. While we're in Ohio, everyone out here is kind of panicking about uh, the earthquake and those kinds of things. But it got me thinking, uh, what if that happened, would we be prepared? Now, if you know me, you know I think, of, I think about this a lot. I've thought about this for a long time. I'm a little bit of a prepper in that way. I uh, really liked that show before we cut cable. Um, and so I used to watch preppers, but uh, some of those people go a little bit too crazy. I mean, I think if you, if you get to the point where you're taking off the back panel of the door so you can put food packets in it and then putting the door back together so you can hide your food, it might be a little bit much. I don't know. It's a little bit extreme for me. But I just wanted to talk about it really quick this morning because how we respond in crisis is going to be important. And if we're not prepared, I don't think our response is going to be uh, very evangelistic and our witness is going to be uh, threatened if, we don't, if we're not prepared. But I hear people say this, well, if something bad happened, I'd be taken out, so I don't need to be prepared. Maybe you've kind of, well, if, if an earthquake comes, I'm not worried about an earthquake because I'm going to die in the earthquake, and so I don't need to be prepared. I just, you know... If I don't die in the earthquake, I'll die shortly after, so I'm just, I don't need to be prepared. But what if you're not? What if, you're, what if you don't die? What if, we, what if we survive, right? And look at these numbers. In the, in the Japan tsunami, 15,890 people died. How many people, though, live on the island of Japan? 127 million people live in Japan. So, so you can't kind of hang your hat on, well, I'm just going to die. So that's my, that's my preparedness strategy. Um, and the other tsunami, 2004, 230 to 280,000 people died in the Indian Ocean tsunami. Yes, it's an awful thing. Um, I remember that very clearly. Um, but 500 million or more people lived in the areas affected by the tsunami. You can't hang your hat on just getting, di- getting killed. Just wanted to say that. So, uh, yeah, how many people are still getting radiation? Don't get, that's a, I'll talk to you after the service. It's probably a soapbox I shouldn't get on right now. I will say, though, that in terms of caring for our environment, that's a pretty big atrocity, what's still going on at Fukushima. But that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to get, I don't want to freak anyone out any more than I'm going to already. Matthew chapter 24, we've talked about this before. If you have your Bibles, you can pull it out and go there. Matthew chapter 24 and 25 is kind of where we're going to focus. Verse 36 is where we're going to start. Uh, We talked about this not too long ago, uh, but um, I I want to go back over it from this approach, from this angle, and, and talk about it for just a little bit this morning. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. While you're getting your phone out, if you don't have a Bible, if you want to check in, at face, on Facebook and let the world know you're here. We always appreciate that. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Now here's that phrase, that day. And this is a phrase that kind of comes up throughout the New Testament a lot of times. You'll see that day or the coming day or the approaching day or something like that. This is, this is the ultimate day that we are all looking forward to and it's one that I'm also afraid that we've lost sight of a little bit. We've kind of, we've taken our eyes off of the prize in the sense that there is a day coming when Jesus will return and, and everything will be made right. The curse will be gone, everything, all the th- all the struggles that we have with sin and this fallen world will be taken away and we will find peace, we will find joy, we will we'll have a life that we could not explain or understand because we have put our faith in him. That's the day that's coming and we cannot lose track of that. We cannot lose sight of that. It has to be on, our, on the forefront of our minds all the time. Here Jesus is talking, he says, but about that day or hour, that day, his return, the day of ultimate salvation, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father knows. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. 
one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. It kind of reminds us of that old song from the 60s or 70s. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears. One left standing. Anyone remember that? I wish we'd all been ready. Verse 42. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Now, here in that verse, verse 42 is the main emphasis of this entire teaching here in, in, this last, uh, in this last paragraph of Matthew chapter 24. The emphasis is keep watch because you don't know when it's gonna happen. The emphasis is not on what the days are going to be like. He gets into that a little bit. He explains some of that earlier in the chapter, and yes, that happens. But here in this, in this teaching, he's, the emphasis is on be ready because you don't know when it's going to happen. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That day, that day, I've, I've talked about it, but I don't think I've talked about it enough because I don't think we look forward to that day enough. That day, that day approaching, all the more as you see that day approaching, that day, what is the day that we're looking for? Well, throughout history, throughout especially church history, the church has endured some end times and come through some end times, some end days that they have had to endure before being ushered into heaven. So I think whether we are preparing for that day that is coming or whatever we may face, whatever dangerous situation, whatever persecution may come to us, we need to be prepared. And this is, I think, the emphasis that Jesus is focusing on. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what, t- what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. Why does Jesus use that as an illustration? Well, think about it. Put yourself in the story a little bit, okay? So, so let's, let's enter into the story. If I'm the owner of the house, okay, I own a house, and I know that on uh, December 22nd, no, let's make it December 25th, at noon, when we've already left the house. So at, right after we have uh, opened up all the presents, I know on December 25th of this year, at noon, somebody's gonna come and break into my house. Now, let's say that I know that, what is my response going to be? My response is going to be, okay, well, I'm probably going to stay at home, or I'm going to call the police and let them know that there is a something coming on December 25th at noon so that they can be there to catch the guy when he comes to break into my house. I'm going to, in some way, be prepared. If I know that's gonna happen, then I can sit between now and then and I can get ready for that moment and then I know exactly when it's going to happen. But I, what if I don't know? What if I don't know and then on December 25th, we just leave our house unlocked after we've opened up all of the presents and then somebody comes and steals everything? I wasn't prepared. See, the point isn't to try to figure out a date to, you know, to, to get into numerology and all those things and figure out a date that you're supposed to be preparing for and say, oh, well, that's not for 250 years, so I don't have to worry about it. I can live how I want. The point is, you don't know when Jesus is coming back. We need to be prepared today. We don't know when Jesus is going to be coming back. We need to be right with God today. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We need to be ready for his return right now. And are we ready? Are we prepared for his return today? I'm afraid many of us aren't. If something happened today, would you be ready? So let's, let's maybe, okay, not that day. Not the day of Jesus' return, but, but what, if, what if something did happen today? What if there was an earthquake today? Would you be prepared to handle the earthquake? What if you were in a car accident today? Would you be prepared? Why does our preparedness matter? Well, for one, it matters, like I said, because the bridegroom is coming and we want to be ready. Matthew chapter 25, right after this, gets into the parable of the ten virgins, one that we talked about uh, quite a bit not too long ago, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I do want to read it. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Are you prepared, or are you going to miss out? Do you have enough oil, or are you going to miss out when the bridegroom comes? Have you, have you prepared yourself spiritually? Are you right with God? Are you pursuing God? Are you growing in your relationship with God? Are, are you reading his word and praying? Are, are you pursuing him daily, or are you just relying on when you can get to church to be the one thing that kind of fills the relationship with God in your life? Is there any substance to your relationship with God outside of what happens on Sunday morning? Are you prepared? Because if you're relying solely on what I can disseminate to you on a regular basis, on, on a once a week basis, you're not ready. If it's all on me, we're gonna fail. We all need to be pursuing God on our own. We all need to be right with God daily. We need to confess our sins, and he will forgive us of our sins, but we need to confess them and move on and, and get in a better place. We need to step away from some of these things that have held us back and, and kept us behind, kept us from pursuing. We need to just let go and get prepared. Are we prepared? Are we ready? Or are we going to miss out? But that's not all. Uh, that's not all that I see in Scripture. And as you're, as you're growing in your reading of Scripture, and I can't tell you enough to read your Bibles, please read your Bibles. As you're growing in your reading of Scripture, you will be able to start to do this. You will begin to see the whole Bible is connected. The whole Bible, whether it's the parts that were written 2,000 years before, the parts that were written 2,000 years ago, or they, it all is connected. It all speaks the same message, and it all ties together. Of course, it all points to Jesus, but, but it all comes together. And as we look at the whole of Scripture, we see, at least the, I, would, I, I would see this, maybe, maybe you don't see this and you can disagree with me and that's fine, but I think we also have a responsibility not to just be spiritually prepared, but to be physically prepared. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. This is one of my favorite Proverbs, one of my favorite sections of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs is a book of wise sayings. It's, it's a, a, a book of, of statements about how if you do this, then this will probably happen. They're not promises, so don't think that if you read through the book of Proverbs and you see something, well, if I do this, then I am promised this. That's not, that's not the book of Proverbs. It's if you do this, the general response is this, and that's where we get confused a lot of the time as we read through Proverbs. We'll see something and we think it's a promise when it's actually just a, a, a proverb. If then statement. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Proverbs was kind of direct, got right to the point. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? It's just kind of fun to say that. When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Have you ever observed ants? For that nature, have you ever observed squirrels? 
If you haven't, uh, at our house in Washugo before we moved, we, we had, well, we had like seven neighbors, and so we had a bunch of different kinds of fence. And, but one of the fence had the flat, actually didn't matter what kind of fence, the squirrel ran across the top of it all. But it had the, the flat two by four across the top, you know, so we could see all the time a squirrel that kind of, I don't know, must have lived down in this tree by this other house over here, had a big tall cedar tree in this backyard, and it would run up our fence to the oak tree, and there were always acorns, you know, for this, for this uh, squirrel to find. So he'd go and he'd get his acorns, you know, come back and just back and forth, back and forth, and then sometimes he'd go down the narrow fence and see what he could find over there. And of course, every spring we're dealing with all the oak trees and the crab apple trees and every other kind kind of walnut tree that this squirrel has planted in our yard because it buries it and can't remember where he found, where he, where he buried it. And so we've got all these trees coming up because of the squirrel. But, but you watch this squirrel, the squirrel, I think is something like 80% more than what the squirrel needs is how much the squirrel stores. It's just kind of its nature. It'll often go and it'll only use 20% of what it, of what it goes and finds and stores, but it still keeps working, keeps preparing, keeps storing its provisions for winter. In an agrarian culture, there was just kind of a, a lifestyle, a life pattern of preparedness. Uh, it didn't happen for everyone, and this, this is one of the reasons why, uh, why we see so much about doing justice throughout the Old Testament. You'll, you'll see a, a farmer would have a wheat crop, and they would, they would harvest all of their crops, but then, but then they were supposed to leave some around the edge of their field for the poor, for the widows and the orphans to be able to come along and take it up so that they would have some food. And so it was the responsibility of the, of the farmer to not only provide for himself and whatever he was going to sell, but to also to leave some for those who could and provide for themselves. Now let's, let's just say, just for fun, just for kicks and giggles, that an earthquake would happen. What would the response be? Is that exciting for anybody? Anyone just waiting for an earthquake? What would the response be? You know, let's say, okay, let's just say the worst happens. That big earthquake everyone's worried about, that 9.2. We're, you know, we're, the, the ground shakes, everything crumbles. How long, for one, would you be able to last after something like that? Maybe some of us would be able to last for a couple of days, maybe some a couple of weeks, maybe some of you have been prepared for, for a long time and you could last for years. But why does this matter? Why would I bring this up? Why would I even care if you're prepared? I, it's not because we went and spent the night in Utah and now we're thinking like Mormons. Um, if you know me, you know my, my number one concern, my number one mission in life is reaching people for Christ. The number one, the number one the thing that I want to do in my mission and ministry is to reach people. And, and I'm hoping that we as a church just kind of continue to get behind that mission and we just have this burden on our hearts for reaching the people in our sphere of influence who, who are far from God and who need God desperately. And, and God would just give us opportunities to, to invest in that relationship with them and then invite them to Christ or at least invite them to church so they can hear about Jesus. And so that we are constantly developing this nature of being disciples who make disciples. This is our, this is our vision vision as a church, not that, I, that I'm able to draw a crowd because I'm so cool and hip, but that we are constantly bringing people into the community, and yes, I just said hip, and I know that doesn't make me cool, so you obviously know that I'm not cool or hip, uh, or whenever that was cool or hip to use, I wasn't cool or hip then either. So we can't rely on me to bring people to Christ, it's on us, and if we're going to be true followers of Jesus Christ, true disciples make disciples. That's at the core of being a disciple. Being a follower of Jesus Christ means we make disciples. Well, let's, what if this happens? What if something awful happens? Look at September 11th, 2001, and the following Sunday. Were any of you at church on that following Sunday? I was. We were packed. Churches across the nation were packed because something awful happened and people were looking to God. If we're not prepared, when the awful happens, people will come to us for answers and we won't be able to give them anything because we aren't prepared. 
Think about it. So, you know, something happens and all the grocery stores shut down and you're not prepared. Something happens and you cannot get food and you don't have any more than a couple days of supply of food in your house and all of a sudden you're four or five days without food, you're panicked for your own survival. You're out somewhere in the community trying to find some kind of food, something that you can do to find food. What happens if you encounter somebody that says, hey man, I don't have any food, can you help me? No. I can't help you because I can't help myself. I don't have anything for me, how am I supposed to help you? Now, like I'm not, I'm not saying to stockpile two years worth of food, but if you, are, if you are cared for, if you have provided for your family, you have resources and supplies, even if maybe you don't have food to spare, which I think we all should try to have food to spare that we can give to people who need food, you can help someone find food. You can help someone in their hour of need, and by helping someone in that hour of need, you are then able to be a witness for Christ. You're able to point people to Jesus. You're able to say, look, Look, I know you're going through a really hard time. I, look, I know this is awful. I know this is a struggle. I, I can't believe that you're having to deal with this, and, and I know how you must feel, and, but l- let me help you. Let me, let me love you. Let me walk with you. Let me, let's see what we can figure out. We've got to be able to figure out something so that you can survive. This is why I think we need to be prepared. This may never happen in our lifetime, and it may never, ever happen. We don't know how the planet works We don't know when God is going to come back. We may never see that, but we still need to be prepared. But at the same time, we shouldn't panic. Now, I don't think any of us should panic. I don't think we should run home and turn our backyard into a bunker, put the kids together in one room so we can have one room dedicated to food storage. I don't think you need to do that. You don't need to turn your car into a tank get bulletproof tires, don't worry about that stuff. But we should be prepared. Proverbs 12, 11, he who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. Proverbs 14, 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Proverbs 21, 25, the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent surely lead to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely lead to poverty. If something happened, would you be able to help people? If something happened, would you be able to lead people to Jesus, or would you be worried about preparing or providing for yourself? Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. If we don't prepare, we miss out. The most important issue, though, is not if we have food to eat and food to share. The most important issue is our status with God. This will be my final point, the final thing that we talk about this morning, the the final issue of today, but um, if if you don't hear anything else about this morning, if you don't hear anything from me ever again, the thing that I want you to hear is that we need Jesus. The thing that I, that I hope that has been made clear over my time that I've been here and I think is the thing that I hope will be continue to may, be made clear for the next, hopefully the rest of my life because I don't have any plans to move or go anywhere, is that Jesus is the most important thing and, and the more our lives revolve around him and the more our lives become about him as the center and the central focus of who we are, then the more everything else in our life becomes in order. The chaos gets rooted out and order comes into place because that's who God is. God is a God of order, not chaos. And so, so as we put more of our life in his hand, then the result is order. 
The more of his principles that we put into practice in our lives, the more we will see order in our lives. The more we obey the teachings of scripture, the more we will see thriving and success because God designed everything. And if we live according to God's design, we'll find human thriving and success. And so all of these issues, everything that we've talked about today, whether it's the being prepared or whether it's the day of Jesus coming or it's the issues of our day, whatever, this is, whatever it is that we've talked about, the most important thing is that Jesus has to be at the center of it all. And when we are distracted by something, when we let something kind of fall by the wayside, when, when we let something become more important, then Jesus is no longer the focus. Jesus is no longer the center. We kind of put him on the back burner, and we're walking off on our own, surely to find chaos and disorder and problems and drama and disaster. We need Jesus to be at the center of everything. Remember, you are too small. I am too small to be the center of our own universe. When we try to be the center of our own universe and everything revolves around us, everything is going to fall apart very shortly because we are not big enough. We're not big enough to live for our own glory. We shouldn't be living for my glory, but we should be living for God's glory. God needs to be the most important thing. And so wherever you are, wherever you stand this morning, I would like to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm not going to do you know, an altar call. We're not going to sing 14 verses of just as I am and, and try to manipulate you so that somebody eventually comes so that we can just go home. <laughs> not that I've ever experienced that. But I want to ask you a very simple but direct question. What is the most important thing in your life? I think it's the answer to that question that leads us in one direction or another. I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. How, how do we make this simple and how do we help people understand, well, what's the most important thing in your life? If, if the answer to that question is anything besides Jesus, 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 and we got some work to do. If the answer to that question is family, family is very important, absolutely family should be very important to us, but it's not the most important thing. What's the most important thing to you? Is it Jesus or is it family? What's the most important thing to you? My job. Yes, having a job and providing for your family, we just talked about, it's a very biblical, important thing to do, but, but it's not the most important thing. Is that what's driving you? Are you driven by your income or are you driven by grace? What's the most important thing to you? Politics. I pray for you. <laughs> but a lot of us probably had other things pop into our head to answer that question when I asked it, what's the most important thing to you? If there is any other answer besides Jesus, then we have some repenting to do. Repenting means turning away from something and turning back towards Jesus, turning away from whatever it is that's distracted us and taken us away and turning toward the cross. What's the most important thing to you? If the answer isn't Jesus, then I ask you in our closing time together, make it Jesus. Will you make Jesus the most important thing? Will you just set everything else aside and you know what? I don't care about anything else. I want to start with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the diversity of your, of your scripture, of your word. I thank you for the fact that even about topics maybe such as silly or ridiculous as this to some people, that we can find ways to walk, ways to live. That for the life that you've called us to lead, that we have everything we need for life and godliness and that you've given it all to us if we'll only look and read and know what your word says. I thank you for that. I thank you for, for leading us 
I thank you for teaching us. I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for your understanding. Father, I pray this morning for anyone here who who may be just one step away from you and needs to turn back, someone who may have taken a hundred steps away and needs to turn back, that no matter how far away from you we get, it's always only one step back. No matter how many steps we take away, no matter how many degrees we've turned away from you, it's always only just one step back. Father, I pray for them this morning. I pray for all of us this morning. If there is something that we've turned away from you for, I pray that you would reveal that to us and let us turn back to you and make you the central focus, make you the, the, the purpose that we live for, the, the calling that we live out, that, that we would walk away from whatever that is and, and put that in its proper place. No matter how good it may be, we may follow you more. Father, I pray that if we've never made a decision, if there's those here who have never decided to follow you and put their faith in you, I pray that you would give them the the boldness to do that this morning, that they would find in, in you a grace that covers over everything, and that as they find that grace and they find this amazing grace, this free gift that they cannot explain, they cannot understand, as they find that they would find themselves loved by the creator of the universe, the God who died for them on the cross. They would be willing then to admit whatever sin it is, put it behind them, believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ and commit their lives to following him from this point forward. Father, I pray for that boldness. Above all, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would be a church that makes much of Jesus that we would be a church, that we would be a body of believers who, whose sole purpose, whose sole existence is to exalt Jesus Christ to the highest place, that we would lift him up to the highest place so that in Clark County and everyone who sees us around this community, that they would see Jesus in us and that they would be drawn to Jesus in us and Jesus through us. They would not be drawn to the work that we are doing, but that they would be drawn to the work that you are doing through us because we are faithful to follow you, our Lord and our Savior, our eternal King, our everlasting Father. Father, I pray that we would be that kind of church. And Father, I pray that as we head into the fall, as we move into the next couple of months, that you would just really build in us a burden and a desire and a passion and something that just wouldn't let us sleep at night until we start reaching into the lost and the dying and the hurting and the brokenness of this world. And we do justice every opportunity we have to do justice. We love mercy every opportunity we have to love mercy. And we walk humbly. We are constantly always doing it with humility because our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than anything, and we should never, ever put ourselves above him. Help us to walk humbly with our God. In Jesus' name, amen.